Being a CISO is like waging a never-ending chess game against players you don't know, can't see, and attack without warning. On this podcast, cybersecurity experts have a pragmatic dialogue on cyber risk, current attacks, and security trends. Welcome to the CISO's Gambit. Hello, and welcome to the CISO's Gambit. Today, I'm excited to be joined by two colleagues, Howie Sue and Brad Moldenhauer, both from Zscaler. We're fortunate to have both of these leaders here today to hear about some of the amazing innovations and things that are helping really move the needle from an information security and risks standpoint. Howie and Brad, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Brad. Looking forward to this exciting conversation. Yeah, likewise. Looking forward to the dialogue, gentlemen. So, Howie, I know your team has been very, very busy and... I remember when Brad introduced me to you just a few weeks ago, actually, he couldn't stop talking about how exciting a lot of the work that your organization is leading. It's kind of like when I start talking about video games or Star Wars, he was that excited. (laughs) So background is very, very deep and very wide across computer science and security with this focus on artificial intelligence and machine learning. What I'm really curious to understand is how did you as a computer scientist and researcher and business leader come to merge this AI ML world into the cyber and security risk management space? Yeah, Sean. So this is... Cybersecurity is an area that I have paid attention for a long, long time. So even in the late 90s, I was one of the persons who actually pioneered in the intrusion detection system back then, SNORT, NFR back in the late 90s. So we had a lot of fun, right? Coming up with all the signatures, pattern matching to detect intrusion. Uh, it was a relatively new concept at the time, but it, you know, it worked out for the last two decades. But I have to tell you that, you know, from that experience, I've always been thinking about it. Hey, is there any better way or different way to do this, right? Because, you know, if it's a signature based, we have seen that in the last 20 years has been working or working in many contexts, but also didn't work for some threat detection, right? And AI machine learning is a technology that started maturing the last decade. I've been thinking, hey, what can we do, right? to enhance, to do security better. I, I, I still remember about 20 years ago when we worked on the intrusion detection. And then at that time, all we had was intru- signature-based approach. And I was thinking to myself, I want to tell my professor at Stanford and I, you know, say, hey, we are working on this intrusion detection. And he's asking, hey, how do you do that? Well, we match this you know, pattern. Is he's going to say, you know, is that, is that a, a little bit crazy if that's the only thing you do, right? Because it's so easy for people to evade. So when in the last 10 years or so after AI machine learning started maturing, I was like, wow, you know, AI machine learning, if there is one thing it can do is to predict the future. The problem we had in the past is we are always one step behind or we are often one step behind for the signatures. And if we can be one step ahead, that would be awesome. 
And that's what AI machine learning can potentially do. Now, it's not to say AI machine learning is mature enough to do anything and everything, but it is a very complementary technology to this conventional thing we have done for the last 20 plus years. So on that front, I'm curious about something because all of a sudden you said, you know, AI machine learning, and I started thinking of the concept of pre-crime from Minority Report, both the short story and the film. Do you see the majority of the power of AI ML being that ability to, like you said, predict specific outcomes, or is it a displacement of conventional methodologies. For example, you mentioned pattern matching or heuristic scanning based models. As you're moving from that to something like AI or ML, where does one basically start and the other one stop to where really they're not even the same thing anymore? They're not even really comparable. Yeah, maybe one of those days in the in the very far future, but in the near future, I see these two technologies to be completely complementary to each other rather than, hey, one starts and then one stops. I don't see that. Potentially never. Here's the thing, right? Uh, the conventional methodology, they embed a lot of the domain knowledge in it, right? You know, understanding what happened. We can do reverse engineering. And I don't see why we don't want to leverage that. And if we can do one plus one, right, conventional plus AI, it will be more than two. That's what we are looking for, rather than one replacing one. Uh, Ultimately, what I see AI machine learning methodology to be a force multiplier to the conventional. So you need the base, you need the domain knowledge, you need, you know, signatures potentially for, for, for a long time to come. But what we get is the force multiplier effect, right? You make that more future-proof, more predictive. So I think they will go uh, hand in hand for for a long time to come. Brad, one of the things that we were talking about during Zenith Live a couple of weeks ago, right before you introduced me to Howie and his team, I remember you saying, dude, you got to check this out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, okay, okay, let's go. From your point of view, as a senior security leader and a practitioner, when you see all of this innovation being driven by the AI ML team, Howie's organization, and the new capabilities are being added, and thinking about what you know, Howie just literally said about how it's complementary to other approaches, what gets you the most jazz? What gets you going like, wow, like yeah. this is this is something I hadn't contemplated or I had thought about it. I just didn't think it was possible. Yeah. So let me, let me back up just a little bit. When I first joined Zscaler, Howie was one of the first people I reached out to because, you know, I was a Zscaler customer for almost six years. And when you think about the model of what's going on, where you've got all these global businesses that are forwarding internet and private application traffic through your cloud to enforce business policies and protect against advanced threats, I started thinking about how over the years as a practitioner, I was constantly looking at various threat prevention and detection strategies for SecOps maturity. And the problem in that area was always apparent. Alert fatigue, false positives, data paralysis, complexity, general overall ineffectiveness. So that always suggested to me 
that transformational change is required to protect against that threatscape that continues to expand the sophistication of its arsenal. And I've always been fascinated about the application of AI and ML in what I would call the areas of smart detection and prevention. Because, you know, I quickly learned from Howie exactly like, you know, machine learning is that field of study within artificial intelligence that harnesses the principles of computer science and statistics to create those statistical models. And those models for what we're talking about here, threat protection, are used to do two things, inference, discover the patterns in the data, and then predictions, make highly accurate projections about the future based upon data from the past. So that's the secret weapon that machine learning wields is the power of prediction. And the way that I explain it is think of it like playing chess with the same partner over and over and then doing the same with hundreds of other players. Over time, you learn your opponent's tendencies and can anticipate their next move. By drawing on lessons learned from other opponents, you have more options to consider so you can adjust your own strategy accordingly. And ML provides that deeper context in just simple user, app, content, location attributes. The learning engine allows it to compute a risk score to classify, you know, domains and, and, uh, you know, on modern contextual attributes such as user behaviors, traffic patterns, unusual app activity, and even location-based anomalies. And it's just really, really exciting. You had mentioned, hey, you know, what we're doing with ML is we're applying the computer science piece, the mathematical piece to create, like you said, inferences. That to me sounds very similar to risk models like, let's say, the Monte Carlo methodology for doing risk quantification. So I'm really curious, uh, you know, and either of you, you know, Brad, I'm sure you have a perspective. Maybe I can hear from you first. And then Howie, do you see not just the innovations that are being driven out of here right now, but taking some of this capability, the technology in and of itself, or the approach perhaps, and applying it to specific risk outcomes. Because historically, cybersecurity has been pretty bad Mm. at doing any aspect of risk management. If you look at all the various models that are out there, it's all qualitative analysis. So it's really 100% dependent on someone's opinion. And I know that starts getting into, you know, bias, even in an AI model and, and, and all of this other stuff, but just at the most fundamental level of how do I measure my risk and how do I know that my assessment is worthwhile, you know, not mm-hmm. to, to quote uh, Douglas Hubbard, who wrote the failure of risk management, right? It's, it's a book I enjoy listening to every once in a while, where he effectively states that the majority of all cybersecurity risk models really, even if they have a number attached to it, doesn't really mean much because it's not grounded in data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, if I was to, to sum up, I'm always, when I'm engaged with customers, I'm always pushing that we need to look at doing things more in an automated and ideally a preventive manner. Because when it comes to the threats associated with ransomware and the sort, we have no tolerance for those. So we need to look at how we can prevent those. So the way that I would break that down is at a high level from a cybersecurity standpoint, we need accurate and timelier context for our choices. And it's all about the three Ps, right? Predictive. 
so we can be proactive ahead of the risk curves that are coming, preventive. So we bias ourselves towards a true reduction in the risk of a material exposure and then ultimately prescriptive so we can simplify the actions that can be chosen to mitigate the risk. Now, that's very easy for me to sit here and say, it's another thing to add the automation to that. And that's what Howie and his team are actively looking at from my perspective on a cybersecurity threat prevention standpoint. Right. I think, you know, Brad is talking about this automation, right? The automation, one of the key parts, one of the key things about automation is actually the engineering part. When I say engineering part, it's about how to handle the data, your ability to process the data. Sean, you mentioned it, right? You know, risk, having a risk model or some numbers is not a new idea. We have been talking about it forever. But the key thing is that whatever the result that that needs to make sense. For that to make sense, you need to have lots of lots of dimensions of the data and then, you know, calculate the risk. If you're just looking at one dimension, you may get a very, very good score, right? You know, hey, how much data the person sent out, you know, going outbound, inbound or whatnot. But how we evaluate the risk, it needs to be multidimensional. So this is actually the, the big challenge here, how to handle so much data and calculate doing the mathematical, statistical, whatever the model. I would say the data processing capability is a big part of the AI machine learning job. And then for, for my team, roughly speaking, half of my team, their day-to-day -day job is thinking about how to process the data, how to automate the processing of the data. And then half of the team members is about how to build this amazing model, right? But it's kind of a half-half. So, Howie, on, on the data sample size is a huge component of this. And Brad said earlier, one of the things that makes not just the approach that is being taken here at Zscaler unique, but also the data set that's available allows us to make, like you said, predictions or inferences that are far more accurate and detailed than would normally be possible. Now, one of the things that's always been hard in information security and even more so in IT is this idea of how do I know where everything that matters resides, right? And there's been multiple approaches, agent-based, scanning-based approaches. I used to jokingly say, often when speaking at conferences, can somebody raise their hand that has a 100% accurate asset inventory? And usually you just got a lot of uncomfortable laughter from the audience. But in the context of machine learning and, and AI, though, in this particular use case, do you see that helping move the needle on that? Or is that something that is going to have to rely on, like you had said before, the more conven conventional methods, or can it supplement? Well, <laughs> it's always, you know, the two methodologies, conventional versus the AI machine learning, they're supplementing each other always, right? So there are, there are a few things here. One is, you know, Zscaler, you know, as a company, we have gazillion data, right? 240 billion transactions a day, right? 40% of the Fortune 500 companies use a traffic 
is routed through our data cloud, right? And 40 million users' traffic actually going through our cloud. So it's a very, very comprehensive list. So we can leverage this data to do a lot of things. The most important part, or one of the most important part at least, is the networking effect. Because if you just look at one person, one user, one company's traffic, the insights you are going to get is very different from when you have 40 million users traffic, when you have 40% of the Fortune 500 user traffic. I'll give you a very simple example, right? One user of one company and then they're browsing, you know, behavior may be weird or maybe, you know, something suspicious, right? But suspicious doesn't mean anything. If you kind of alert suspicious things, then you get, get to what Brad was talking about, alert of fatigue, right? You will have gazillion alerts. But, when, but then we can see, hey, you know, 50 users of 60 companies, right? Oh, sorry, 50 users from 50 companies, and they all behave this suspiciously, nine o'clock this morning. Then that's a huge thing, right? So that's sure. just the one example to share with you that, you know, in the past, we are able to do a lot of that, but we are able to do that in a silo way. Now we are able to do, look, look at it holistically. That's just the one example, right? So from that, we're able to give people the insights that they wouldn't have. So we are, we, you know, we're constantly working with our you know, customers and sometimes, you know, prospective customers and we show them things and then they want to say, wow, you know, the kind of the insights you, you give to me is something I've never had for the last, you know, 10 years or however many years I'm here. Yeah, no, that's a fantastic point because I have seen a lot of hype, you know, years ago when it really started getting hot. And even now where some organizations are really trying to focus on user behavior, but the sample size is one user across a couple of months. So the data set, it makes me go, well, so you're doing geofencing and time restriction. It doesn't seem like a terribly effective control, given the fact that you can't the, the data size is just not there. So this really resonates with me because now you can actually see not just trends, but be able to further pinpoint where some of these things might actually either be coming from or how they're acting in the wild. Yep, absolutely. Often when AI ML gets said, you see eyebrows kind of go up where in some cases it's been utilized as a, as a term du jour, right? Today, however, things have changed because we're seeing industry-wide, not just in the cyberspace, but just as pure computer science, really applicable use cases and problem solving that didn't exist before. When you start separating the wheat from the chaff or specifically what's real, what's not, and I'm talking industry-wide, right? How does somebody as a practitioner zero in and try to understand this is real and useful versus this is just marketing fluff? Yeah, yeah it's, uh, that's, that's always an interesting question. You know, uh, I've, I've seen a number of Howie's talk tracks and written articles on this subject. And one of the things he always and is very consistent consistently pointing out is that 
AI and ML is not a panacea for cybersecurity and especially threat prevention. But what it's doing is it's doing things that simply just haven't been possible. And specifically, I would say in the areas of malware and content classification, right? So one of the things I think that I'm always been keen on is, is exactly what he talks about in the area of content classification. A human can at most do what? 500 website classifications per day, whereas a machine can do near infinite number in a day. And one example of that would be phishing classification, right? And I think that's really important because when you think about a lot of the zero trust initiatives that are out there, phishing is going to be the primary vector to uh, you know, counteract that. Because if you get a successful phishing attack, you've essentially commandeered an authorized user's identity. And that's where we're building a lot of our security stacks. We're no longer building them around a data center in a corporate network. We're building them around user identity and authentication. So the scale and number of potential phishing attacks is far too large, but AI and ML offer a way to speed up that detection. But I would say the bigger area, and this is what really intrigued me about listening to Howie's recent session at Zenith Live, was if you take a look at the uh, executive order on improving the nation's cybersecurity, it had you know five or six very specific objectives. One of them in there was specifically targeting the removal of barriers around the sharing of threat information. Now, we do this today in a number of different initiatives, like a lot of the ISACs out there, those information sharing and analysis centers for industry verticals. Yeah, that's great. I was part of the legal one, you know, before I joined Zscaler. And I really like that because I was talking to our competitors, you know, people in my role, the CISOs of our legal competitors, but you know, we were sharing threat intelligence data that, in, that impacted us all. What essentially I think we're doing here at Zscaler and Howie and his team more specifically is sharing that in a anonymized manner, the same way that, you know, we're, we're able to share threat data that doesn't disclose anything about what we're trying to do from a business perspective and then inoculating customers' environments based upon threat data that we see from one specific customer. So in a sense, we're almost crowdsourcing that threat intelligence and providing real-time defenses against it that everyone benefits from. And it's a form of threat sharing that I don't think was considered in that executive order, which is talking more about sharing it on a, on a manual level rather than an automated one. Yeah, thanks, Brad, for um, mentioning what we discussed at Zenith Live, you know, last month. So just like the example I gave earlier, right, you know, hey, seeing someone doing something suspicious, is that interesting or not interesting? I would say interesting, but not interesting enough, right, oftentimes. However, understanding that, that there are 50 users from 50 different companies doing that suspicious things, you know, at the same time, that's very interesting, Right. So we internally definitely are already leveraging that kind of information so that we have high quality threats into our database. But we also wanted to share that with external parties, with our customers, with our partners, and vice versa, right? Through this sharing, this is what Brad is talking about. Sharing this kind of inf information is going to help us to combat the bad guys more effectively, right? Ultimately, that's what this is about. 
So this is something that, you know, my team is very passionate about. Brad, you know, is very passionate about. And we as a company also very passionate about, right? Hopefully we have more customers and then partners who can leverage the kind of the networking effect I was talking about through API, through our security cloud or security data cloud in some ways, right? So this is kind of the vision we painted in the Zenith Live, right? You know, today we have a, you know, the largest enterprise security cloud. I can totally see that moving forward in the in the not too far future, we would have the largest security data cloud as well, right? So that we kind of have this ability to enhance our security for our customers collectively. Now, Howie, I'm really curious, you know, myself as a former computer scientist or student of computer science, uh, I know that the technology continues to evolve and, you know, just like anything else, limitations almost always come down to heat dissipation, power efficiency, and then that gets reflected. Something very there. basic, right? Computing, yeah. <laughs> scale. Right. Yeah. When you look at not just the models that you've developed or perhaps other models that you've seen, it, whether it's in academia or in other industries where they're doing practical applied science in this way, what are the things that are kind of common across designing an architecture that can support not just the size of the data, but the speed that's necessary to make meaningful observations or predictions, as you stated? Yeah, I have two things to say on this one. One is, you know, going back to the engineering comment I, I said, right? It's not just about data science, the model, but also the engineering part. And uh, what I see is there's tremendous amount of innovation uh, on the engineering side in terms of coming up with the machine learning platform to automate, to automate the model building, to automate, you know, tracking the data, automating sanity check, uh, the model performance or monitoring the performance on an ongoing basis, right? So there's a lot of the perception that, hey, machine learning people, what they do, right? They just uh, throw some data into TensorFlow or those kind of the open source platform, and then you get a result. The work is done. If you get a good result, if not, you tweak the parameter. I would say that's roughly speaking 1% or 10% of the work, depending on the project, obviously. Vast majority of the data, a vast majority of the work is actually about hey, do I have the comprehensive enough data? Do I have biased set of data, right? Do I have clean enough data, right? Do I even have data, right? Because, you know, sometimes you get uh, ingesting data from some source, and if it stopped for an hour or for a minute or even sometime for a day, do you even know that? If you don't know that, if you cannot detect that, you know, your, your result will be off, right? There are so many things surrounding just, you know, a model coming out of the uh, TensorFlow so platform. So I think this is one area I would say that a lot of innovation. So everyone knows that the market, all right, public market, private market has, you know, got some hit in the last uh, more than half year or so. But even now, when the market cools down a little bit, I continue to see a lot of the startup innovations, VC funding announcement related to this ML um, operation platform thing I was referring to. So that's one thing I would say. 
The other thing is, you know, the innovation is not just about the technology, the data science, the uh, the model. It's also about the use case. So the let me give you an example, right? So just like a bread, and I have been talking about ransomware, you know, malware. You know, we use AI machine learning to do URLs. Um, classification, right? Malware detection. That's a very, very common use case that many security companies do that. But one of the things Zscaler started putting a lot of investment in the, in the recent years is actually more than that, more than malware detection, but also the policy, right? Because we're all talking about, for instance, we are, we are all talking about zero trust. But what is zero trust? Zero trust is a very granular, dynamic, contextual policies, right? You know, it's not just about me logging in, but also can can myself talk to this particular application at this time under what context, right? So that's that's great for from a security point of view. I'm pretty sure Brad, you know, in his previous role as a CISO, this is great. Everyone locked down, you know, you don't have a lot of flexibility. You only do things you are supposed to do. But the reality is, Who's going to make those configurations and maintain it, right? You know, I'm pretty sure Brad didn't have 2,000 people reporting to him, keeping track of it 24 by 7, right? Wait, but you mean we're just not going to buy the technology and put it on the shelf like most organizations? <laughs> so, so, so to have a true, true, you know, or perfect zero trust you literally need 200 people reporting to you, chasing the policies, and still, you know, maybe a few seconds behind, right? So where machine learning can do is actually to help to come up with the policy, like the policy generation, right? That part is something that we feel it's not just about to detect a file, a host is malicious or not. But also, what is the policy for that user? It's almost like uh, you and I both read Apple News, Google News, but your news is different from mine. But why my security policy uh, is often the same as long as we work in the same department, the same team. And sometimes, you know, as long as you work in the same company, you have the same security policy. Now let's we have a chance to leverage AI machine learning to have true, truly granular, dynamic contextual policies. And then for that to happen, I would say it takes AI machine learning to help. That's number one. And then that is innovation in many ways, because we are going beyond, going above the just the whether something is malicious, something is fishy or not. So, so Brad, when you hear how we provide that perspective, you know, I'm kind of just thinking of operationally how cool that would be. And then all of a sudden I start thinking about well, if it's AI-based or machine-based and it's automated, who puts in the change control <laughs> you know, for making the change? What, how does that resonate for you when you hear how we say, look, we can actually get to a completely different paradigm of access control management and, and granularity that really from the old method of whether it's file permissioning or cloud configurations. What does that sound like to you? Does it, well, it's obviously exciting because it gets me excited, but is it something that you go, oh yeah, total game changer? Or is it like, oh, let's slow down a little bit. That's a lot of change. Uh, uh, yeah, I would say actually more of the former, less of the latter, because what he's really talking about is, is you know, leveraging 
a substantial amount of data based upon your actual user's behavior and activity in making these determinations. And ultimately, where my mind is going to is this is going to help us address a lot of those emerging technology risk areas. So think in, you know, if I was to bucketize them, let's let's kind of, you know, things like cloud, social media, supplier management, consumerization. You know, what Howie's really talking about is saying, hey, based upon what your users have been doing the last six or so months, we can start making smart decisions or predictive policy determinations about application security, monitoring, identity management, internal, external appropriate use, right? Um, it, you know, malware, e-discovery. I mean, all it pretty much bucketizes just about everything. And it's not like it's making these decisions in a vacuum. I mean, it's based upon actual behaviors that are being exhibited, you know, with, um, you know, what your users and where your business is going. But the other side of this is too, because I, I do just love the applications associated with, you know, what I would call security operations is I think today, you know, we are, if I was to put it mildly, we're probably tactically reactive, right? Where, you know, we're mitigating damage once it has already started. And I think AI and ML is going to make us proactively strategic. And that's where real economic value lives. Yeah, I think in the throughout this conversation, right, Brad has been talking about a few keywords. That's really the essence of the value of the AI machine learning. One is automation, right? With automation, we can do things as speed, as scale, right? So that's that's kind of the uh, the the big big value, and the other the other keyword that Brad talked about a few times is this predictive, proactive thing, right? Not just the one step behind. So I I would say really that's the essence of it. And then going back to Sean, your question, right? Let's not just say, hey, which you know this is exciting, and then this is you know AI is better than the conventional. I always view that they are complementing each other. You know, this is actually what got me excited, right? In in many ways, because we, you know, my, me myself, I was the founder CEO of TrustPath, and then we came to Zscaler a few years ago, and then because we feel like, wow, this is a cloud native security company, right? So much data, right? Hundreds of uh, billions of transactions a day. You know, who, where else you get this kind of the networking fat? And then we are actually. Um, you know, after a few years of work, we are seeing the result of that. It's super exciting. But I also see that in the, in the future, it's, it's more than the cloud native. I also see that we are going to get into this data native security era so that a lot of the decisions, a lot of the classification will be driven by the data. And of course, again, you know, um, together with the conventional methodology together, but it will be more and more driven by the data. So I see that, uh, you know, this, this future of the data native security is going to be as exciting and potentially, you know, get our security guys more force multiplier, as I mentioned earlier. So Howie and Brad, I, I want to thank you both for taking the time. I've taken away a bunch of new things and I'm realizing I'm going to have to Google a couple of things after this conversation. But Howie, one really last question. If if one of our listeners would like to learn more about what's currently within the Zero Trust Exchange that is leveraging a lot of this innovation that your team has created, where could they go to learn more? 
Right. We actually already have a machine learning, AI machine learning page on our website. And there are some interesting materials there. And then, you know, feel free to contact us from there. And all our, you know, product manager, you are sort of the, our colleagues at Zscatter. And we are actually revamping that page so that, you know, there's more information on there. So I would say, you know, uh, I'm happy to talk to people who are just excited, just as excited as I am with the, this potential of leveraging AI machine learning to solve, you know, their real problem, right? Today, my, my team is doing two things primarily. One is leveraging the data, leveraging AI, leveraging the networking effect to discover this unknown threat, evasive threats, right? Those kind of the, uh, those, a threat detection prevention thing. So if you are super interested in, you know, how AI can make a difference, I would love to talk to you. The other thing is, as I mentioned, right, how do we leverage the data, AI, and the networking effect to actually recommend policies for you? Our starting point is making recommendation on the ZPA policy. So if you are interested, hey, you know, I have this ZPA thing already going, and then how do I, you know, where... where you know, where's the force multiplier to help me to adopt this zero trust policy um, better, more? Would love to talk to you. Fantastic. Brad, Howie, thank you both again for making the time. Really appreciated the conversation. And I'm looking forward to doing this again. Yeah. And I really enjoyed talking to you, Sean and then Brad. Brad yeah. articulated my team's vision so well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we have a, we have a, we have a part-time opening for for a kind of sp- spokesperson. <laughs> yeah, I yeah yeah guys, I really appreciate the conversation. And Howie, every time I talk to you, you just remind me that tomorrow is going to be better than today. So I appreciate the dialogue. Thank tomorrow you. is better. Thank you all. <laughs> Thank you. You've been listening to the CISO's Gambit. I'm your host, Sean Cordero. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this show, please leave a comment and subscribe. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2022.